0: If you're able, you can stand with me for the reading of the scripture this morning. Our scripture this morning is going to come from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was long, time, and coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom, come out and, to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give, a, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Plus the reading of the Lord.
1: Please join me in welcoming Dane Kramer. Dane's been with us. I think we figured out this is your third time. Is that right? So Dane is from Somerset, Pennsylvania. He lives there with his wife, Cynthia, and he formerly served as a pastor in United Methodist Church in Lower Somerset County. And since the last 10-plus years, he's been engaged in various forms of ministry, uh, focused on encountering men and women who are at a crossroads in their life and are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a couple of those are he does a regular Bible study at a drug rehab center and in the prison. I got to join him uh, for one of those Bible studies at the drug rehab center, and I, I still remember it. It was a great, great experience. I, I met Dane uh, actually through a mutual passion for hiking. He gave me a ride on the Laurel Highlands Hiking Trail. But, so we talked that first drive as he drove me to the trailhead, and then... We've been, uh, we continue to share a passion for hiking together. He one time bailed me out of a aborted through hike, winter through hike of the Laurel Highlands Hiking Trail, which my wife is extremely grateful for, Dane. But more than that, I just so appreciate Dane's passion for uh, the scripture and for Jesus, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I can get Dane to come out from Somerset, it's not a short drive. I'm always excited because I love to hear Dane preach. So thank you so much, Dane, for being here. Uh, We're so glad.
2: Thank you, Matthew. You know, I remember the time uh, I gave you that ride to the trail and I dropped you off and I drove away thinking... I really enjoyed talking to that guy, it was just enjoyable, and so it kind of blossomed a little bit more, some more conversations, and I really appreciate that. Well, thank you everyone for the welcome to be here, uh, yeah, my name is Dane Kramer, I come from Somerset, Pennsylvania, and um, you know, I'm excited to be with you now for the third time, um, and just uh, I didn't have this ready, I'm sorry, I should have had my page turned. Um, Pastor Matthew asked me a couple of weeks ago, oh, maybe, I don't know, months months ago if i could preach here and i'm I'm a busy guy i got a lot of things going on and but we were able to we had a date that it worked, so i was very pleased to come back and and join you here again today so thank you um and it was neat the um the scripture that we're gonna well you already heard that you read here on the screen we're gonna go over we're gonna talk about that a little bit and midway's think tank i've already been working with that at the sunday school class so that was kind of that was kind of exciting uh to do that and um So, again, thank you for the welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you here uh, again today. Um, Back in 1998, uh, I think it was, I first started hearing the rumblings of a coming problem. Uh, That problem was identified as Y2K. Some of you might remember Y2K. In 1999, I, I, I began to, when I go to the grocery store, I began setting aside more groceries, you know, just because some of the experts were telling us that, this could be a problem and it seems that those who were smart enough to make computers were not smart enough to realize the calendar would one day change to the year 2000 and so we were told that when the change occurs when the when the computer switch from december 31st 1999 to january 1st that they're not going to know the date and this could be disastrous we were told the power grid might shut down uh, supply chains could be interrupted i mean on and on and on national security was at stake and so it was a worrisome, worrisome time. So I would go to the grocery store, and when I'd go to the grocery store, I'd just pick up a few extra items, put them in my pantry and put them in, a, in the freezer, because I, I didn't know where this was going to go, like most of you as well, I'm sure. Well, December 31st, 1999, rolled around, and as my usual on, on New Year's Eve, I partied till 9.30, which, <laughs> which means I did nothing till 9.30, crawled in bed because I was exhausted from doing nothing, and, you know, just fell asleep. And then the next day, woke up at some point, and I remember rolling over, and the first thing I did is look for the alarm clock to see, you know, and it wasn't blinking, and it wasn't turned off. It was still on. Okay, we have power. So I got out of bed, made my way to the bathroom to brush my teeth, turned the faucet on, and there was water. So I, we have power, we have water, that's good. I then went to the front living room and looked out the window to see if the National Guard were patrolling the streets and if, you know, uh, chasing away looters and things, and, and it was nothing. It was quiet. It's, you know, a, a car slowly rolling down the street on New Year's Day, it was nothing. New Year, or excuse me, uh, Y2K turned into a bust. Nothing, nothing occurred. And for the next several months, I ate a lot of canned goods. Um, <laughs> And, you know, but I I would do it all again. I would do it all again. Uh, Maybe not so much succotash, but I would still do it again because, you know, when we're told that something's going to happen, when we're told something could occur, I mean, the wise person would make some preparations for that, right? I mean, you want to be prepared. And I, I felt like I was prepared for a little bit that I could feed my family and maybe help some people out around me if they needed it because I was just trying to prepare myself. Well, in today's gospel text, Jesus tells a story. of It's about being prepared. Some will discover here we're not prepared, and some were. And it's my hope that as we take a look at this passage together, that we'll discover where we are in that lot, where we stand with him in relationship to this parable, in relationship to him. And that's what I hope to discover here today. But if you would, let's just... Humble our hearts, quiet our hearts one more time and go to the Lord and seek his blessings, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the singing of songs, for the fellowship that we've experienced, for the goodness of just being with one another. And we thank you for your word. We thank you for reading it and hearing it. And now, Lord, we wait on you. Show us yourself, we ask. Teach us. Explain to us who you are, Lord. Help us to identify you in your word. And then, Lord, we pray that you would make us more like you. We now wait on you, Father God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 25 is... Near the end of what we call the Olivet discourse in the Gospel of Matthew, there are five major discourses. Uh, that's what scholars, Bible teachers, tell us. Matthew didn't, but you'll find them. There are there are five sections of Matthew, and if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you'll go to these sections, and it's all red, both pages, both sides, just all red because it's the teachings of Jesus. Matthew just kind of takes the teachings of, of Jesus and he, he compresses it into a zip file and he puts five of those in your Bible. There they are. They're just compacted together, the teachings of Jesus. And this one, Matthew 25, is the tail end of what is often called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus gave this teaching, this discourse on the Mount of Olives. It began with the disciples showing Jesus the uh, the, the the temple and the beauty of it, and Jesus warned them, oh, there's coming a time when that's not going to be standing. Uh, several of them pulled him aside a bit later and asked him what he meant, and Jesus explained to them that ah, the temple was one day going to fall. And he talked about that, and I believe he looked down the, uh, the road a little bit further and talked about some other future events. And then he, Matthew chapter 24, ends with the parable 25. There's some more parables in there. And, and so that's where we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 25, this parable of the bridesmaids. Jesus tells the story, and it, the backdrop to the story is just a typical first century wedding. That the, the bridesmaids go out to meet the groom, which is typically done from those who study that tell us, and they're, they're go- they've gone out to meet him to bring him back to the wedding. So it's a party. It's a celebration. This is a a large party by our standards, 10 bridesmaids, and they go out to meet the groom. Now, five of them were deemed wise, and five of them, Jesus said, were were foolish. And the reason why they were foolish, Jesus says, they didn't take enough oil for their lamps. Their lamps were probably... Uh, they burned olive oil or some sort of plant-based oil, probably, and that's what they had filled their lamps with to take them out to, to greet the the, uh, the the groom. But our problem was that the groom was much later. Apparently, he was you know at this bachelor party. They were he and his friends were having a good time, and they just were late. They were just just were late. And as they were waiting, these ten bridesmaids, they you know at this, this predetermined place, they just fell asleep waiting. And finally, the cry ran out at midnight. The, the groom is finally here. They jumped up, and, and they began to trim their lamps, they began to, to brighten them up a bit so they could bring the, the groom back. But the five, who had not brought enough oil, said, We don't have enough oil. So they came to the wise ones, and they asked them, Could we have some of your oil? And they said, We don't have enough. If we give you some of ours, then we won't have enough for us. So you'll have to go buy some. And they went, and the groom came, and the five bridesmaids who were prepared brought the groom to the wedding party, and those showed up later, were turned away. That's the parable. Now, our job here this morning, not just this morning, but each and every time we come to the scripture, is to unpack this. What does it mean? When Jesus tells a story, a parable, what, what does it mean? How do, we, how do we understand what he's trying to tell us? Well, sometimes he makes it rather easy for us. Like in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the story of the uh, seed uh, passed by the sower. The sower goes out to sow. And what makes it easy is after that's over, the disciples come to him and they said, what do you mean by that? And he, tell, he told them. He told them what he meant. And then, Mark wrote it down. Matthew wrote it down in Matthew 13. We have Jesus explaining, oh, here's what I meant. So when we come to those types of teachings where Jesus explains what he means, it's relatively easy because he explained what he means. But problem is, is oftentimes Jesus didn't tell us what he meant. He'll say something. It's just like hanging in the air. What do we do with that? How do we understand it? I mean, what, what does it mean? He told us a story. I like the story, but what does it mean? And that, that's our task to figure it out. Now, there's a temptation sometimes when we come to the parables of Jesus to, to think, well, everything in them must have a corresponding meaning to it. For example, the seed of the sower we just talked about in Mark 4 and Matthew 13. In that particular parable, everything there seemed to have a corresponding value to it. The seed was the word of God. The sower was the son of man. And the the stony uh, uh, soil, for example, was the heart that was unprepared. And on and on. Everything has a value to it. But the problem is, not every parable is like that. And for example, in Luke chapter 18, um, Luke tells us that Jesus once told this parable, so that men ought always to pray and not faint. In other words, that's the purpose. He told a story for one point, that we would pray and not lose heart. And therefore, in those types of parables, it seems like everything in that parable doesn't necessarily have a corresponding point to it. It's just a story. They're almost like props on a stage during a play. They're there for value, to to lend themselves to the story itself, but They don't really mean anything. So we have both of those happening. Sometimes everything has a a, a meaning. Sometimes they don't. How do we figure it out? I mean, how how do we make sense? What does this mean? I presented the problem, but I haven't presented the, the solution yet. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. And let, me, let me tell you something, too, and I, this is my third time that I've preached here, and I probably should have said this the very first time I came, and then, it, and you might always want to remember this, especially if you have me back, though after I tell you, you may not, but never forget this. I could be wrong. I, I mean, I might be wrong up here, right? I mean, I, I'll, I'm not wrong on purpose. I'll give you that. I'm not up here telling you something that I know is foolish and wrong and just giving it to you. I, I'm not like that. That'd be like, Psychotic or something. But I, I, what I'm telling you, I think is right, and I'm going to give you what I think is right, but never lose sight of the, the fact that I could be wrong in what I'm telling you. It would serve you very well to remember that I might be wrong in what I'm telling you. I mean, I've never been to seminary, I've never been to Bible college, I've never been to college. I I made it through high school barely. <laughs> Actually, truth be told, in, in all honesty, I, I, in one grading period, I got an F in wood shop. Now, and you're probably thinking to yourself, "Now, come on, how do you get an F in wood shop? You just show up and you get a C, right?" Yeah, you do, you're, you do. But I got, I managed to get an F. And uh, so I'm just telling you, I got nothing, folks. I've got nothing. I mean. And you're probably thinking, well, then why is a guy who gets an effing in woodshop standing up here telling me about a parable of Jesus? What gives you the right to tell me what this means? I'm trying to figure out the same answer to that question myself. Why am I up here telling you? You know, I, I, I'm trying to get you to the same point that I am, and that is, I don't know any more about this than you just read. I mean, this is it. This is the text. You have the text. You could get to the same place that I'm going to. You See, the problem is, and sometimes in some of our churches, is the people think, well, we pay the pastor to do our thinking for us. You know, we're going to give him a salary, write him a check. He can stand up there. He can do all the thinking. He can just tell me what it means, and then I'll be satisfied and go my way. I don't like that so much. I, I'd like you to figure it out. I'd like you to work on the text yourself. I'd like you to open the Bible, read it, and then you come up with a determination, remembering that you might be wrong, but at least you're starting. We need to think for ourselves. Because in the end, really, you can't get to heaven. You will not see God based on my faith. This is your walk, not mine. I got my own. This is your walk. This is you and God doing it together. So you need to work on it. You need to figure it out. You need to tackle this and figure out what it has to say. I'll help you, but I got an effing wood shop. So, you know, just just remember that, all right? Just remember that. What does this mean? And how am I going to figure out? See, I, I mean, I can't give you my faith. Interesting, in this very parable, there's some things that the, some of the uh, bridesmaids says, I can't share that with you. And there's some things that I can't share with you. You know, I, I can't get, you can't make it on my faith here. This is about you, okay? So, so, so you have to unpack this. So now, after losing all confidence in your speaker. What do we do with this? Well, I have to tell you, in some respects, I think this is relatively easy because at the end of this parable, Jesus kind of summarized it and said that we were to watch always. You know, we are always to be ready. And we also know that this parable comes sandwiched between two other parables in which Jesus seems to talk about his return. And by the way, when Jesus talks about his return here, I believe he's talking about a real physical return to this earth. I've looked at the passages before. I, I, I've read them to see if they're, you know, maybe uh, uh, figuratively understood. And I, I, I understand them literally, that Jesus is going to return. And he's telling his disciples that he's one day going to return. And these three parables, one about the, the, the servant's uh, who, who realize it's long and coming and they kind of do some bad things. Then we have this one and then we have the, the parable of, of Jesus distributing his wealth before he goes away, all having to do with his return. So it has to do with that and it has to do with waiting because he said to watch. So we know that much. And it's, it's my thoughts on this passage here is that the five foolish bridesmaids, and the five wise ones are divided by one important thing, and that is that the foolish ones weren't anticipating such a long wait. They didn't realize that this was going to be a long haul, you know, and so they, they took, they took their, their lamps, they took enough oil, and then they were prepared to wait a little bit, but not a lot of bit. And the wise, on the other hand, were prepared that this might be a while, this might take a while for the groom to come, and so they were prepared for a longer walk. You know, back in the 70s, I was in the youth group, and uh, I remember my, my brother bought a book uh, written by Hal Lindsey, The Late Great Planet Earth. Some of you remember that book? You do? Okay, great, Yes. We, we devoured that book. We passed it all around the youth group. We all read that book. We talked about it. We were really excited. And how Lindsay went everywhere but, but actually saying it, that he felt that Jesus was going to return by 1981, 88 at the latest. Now, if you're familiar with their history, you'll know that he didn't return in either of those years. But I remember we were really, really excited about it. I mean, the return of Jesus, this, is just, this fueled almost every lesson that we have. Christ's return is just about to happen. And we were all excited, always talking about it. Anybody who had a lesson about that, we were just eager to learn more and more. You know, um, I ha- there's a Bible teacher by the name of Steve Gregg. He's in Southern California. I like to listen to him. I've talked to him on a few times. It, just a, a, a brilliant man. And he shares, now, he grew up about an age before, or a few years before, in the 60s. And in the 60s, in Southern California, there was a hippie movement. And in the midst of this hippie movement was another movement that was genuine. It's called, uh, often called the Jesus Movement. I think the Jesus Revolution is a movie that came out not long ago. It's about that era. And he describes how also and then all they were talking about was the return of Jesus It was going to happen. It was going to happen soon. And he shared how many people flocked to the church, all excited. It's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. And eventually, some of them left the church. It didn't happen. They all got on the train, ready for it to roll, and it never left the station. And they waited a decade or so, and they were told by their teachers, this is going to happen didn't and they just drifted you see they weren't apparently ready for the long haul the long wait thought it was going to happen soon they thought it was going to happen quickly and in their own lifetime let me tell you this there hasn't been a generation of christians yet that hasn't viewed the second coming of christ as in their generation they all have we all have we all have looked at our own lives oh it's gonna happen now All the signs are ripe. It's going to happen now. If you've said that, you often remember that every Christian before you has also said that. And and I'm not trying to discourage you from that belief, but I just want to caution you in a sense that sometimes people get discouraged when they hear that talk and it doesn't come about. And, And these five foolish bridesmaids apparently weren't in it for the long haul. They weren't prepared to wait that long. And I think that's probably one of the major themes that I see coming out of this parable. But there might be another. You see, these foolish bridesmaids, they weren't prepared to wait that long. They didn't think the long would be that long, the wait would be that long. And I think sometimes today, we also have a group of Christians Who think, well, I didn't think the wait would be that hard. You know, it's I'm waiting for him, and it's it's getting difficult. I mean, I I thought he was coming soon, and and it's not that it's so long to wait, it's just so hard to wait for him. And they could become discouraged with that. Back in the 80s, uh, in 1984 to be exact, I met a man who's my age, and I had never met a young Christian man like that who was on fire. I mean, I, I was kind of like the leader of my youth group, but I couldn't know what a handle, candle to this guy. I mean, he, he quoted scripture like he read it, not like somebody had quoted and he learned it from them. He actually read the stuff, you know. And he really inspired me, and, and my, my life just took off spending time with this young man who really loved Jesus, But then he ran into some problems. Later on in the 80s, his wife left him for someone else. And then in the 90s, his mother got really sick and she suffered long with with cancer. And then later, he got sued in court over a mistake that he made in business dealings and he lost a lot of money. And over the years, you could see it happening slowly and then more rapidly, and that was his faith started to slide, to slip. Now, I haven't talked with him in years, and the last that I heard is he gave all his Bibles away, just walked away from the faith. Now, I don't know for sure if this is what happened, but I have this sense that probably what occurred in his life is he was waiting for the rescue of Jesus, He was waiting for him to come and and rescue him from these problems, rescue him from where he was, and it just wasn't happening. And he couldn't wait that long while it was that hard. And he turned his lamp out, shrugged his shoulders, and walked away. How sad, how, how desperately sad to think that some of us could get to that point where it, it's getting hard to wait. Not just long, but it's, it's getting hard to wait for him. And I think one of the reasons why is we have this notion that surely Jesus is going to come rescue me. I mean, surely he's going to bail me out of this situation. Surely I won't live in this pain forever. I mean, surely he's coming right And then he doesn't, or at least not as we would anticipate. And there are some people who, after a while, trim down their lamps, let them burn out, and walk away. And I think just how terribly sad, because, as most of you know, Jesus is never promised us an easy walk. In fact, if you want to see what he did promise us, I think it's Luke 17, he said, you will be offended. Now that he promised to us. You will be caused to stumble. That's coming your way. But somehow we get this notion that Jesus... He's going to rescue me from this, right? I mean, he's going to bail me out of this, right? He's going to save me from this physical pain, this mental pain, this emotional anguish. Somehow he's going to reach in and just going to just remove all of this, right? And then when he doesn't, there's this temptation like my friend faced. We thought, you know what? It's time to give my Bibles away. It's time to walk the other direction. And I don't want that happening here way. Now, I, I don't want that happening in your life where, you know, you think this, this wait is just a little longer than I expected or it's a little more difficult than I had anticipated. And I think there's probably a couple of ways that we can prevent that. One is read your Bible. I mean, I, that's almost cliche, you know, or read your Bible. But, but I'm serious. It's the words of Jesus. So it's just, I, I find so beautiful. Matthew gives us, what we talked about those five, there's five great discourses of Matthew, of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. They're just rich, and, and, and they just they're just medication for the soul. I mean, they're just wonderful. Start there. Go to Matthew chapter 5. I know you guys did not long ago, the Sermon on the Mount, not, not terribly long ago. Ah, oh, beautiful word seeing the multitude. He went up in a mouth, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed the poor in spirit. There's words. There's just something, there's something about those words. That's one way to help you in that walk. Find the words of Jesus. Read the words of Jesus. Put them inside of you, not just Ink on paper, but life in your heart. Another way to make the weight, you can handle the weight, is is to talk to them. I was going to say pray, but that just sounds more formal. Let's just keep it informal. Talk to them. Tell God what it's like to be you. Tell God what it's like to walk in your shoes. Oh, he knows. I give him that. He he knows already, but he wants to hear it from you. Tell God what it's like to live your day and who you are. Tell him how difficult it's getting to wait. Tell him that. Tell him how hard it is to wait. God, today's a real struggle. God, today's it's really tough being me today. I'm having a tough one. And just saying those words to him, I believe, will help you. It'll keep some oil in your lamp because this is about your walk, folks. This is about you. And thirdly, keep doing this. I mean, you want to spend time with with people who love Jesus. You want to be around them. You want to be close to them. You want to be feeding off from them. And if you're coming to a place like this and you know someone who's sitting on the other side of the church or sitting in a different pew who you know is struggling with some of those difficulties and maybe looking at the oil on their lamp thinking it's going to run out soon, maybe you ought to seek them out and somehow touch them, whether it's a physical hug or touch them with a listening ear or just some comforting words. You need to help them along their way. And in some way, I mean, you can't give them your faith. You you can't give them that, but you you can give them something of you, something of him. Because we don't want to see one another stepping away. We don't want to see others shrugging their shoulders and going home. And... And so for you who are waiting today, for, for you who are waiting, not just in time, but in severity of life, I want to say, hang in there. I, I want to say, just hang in there. He knows it's difficult. He knows the pain. He, he knows the loneliness and the hurt, and he knows how you are suffering. And he wants to walk with you. Please, please. Don't give up. Do those things that I mentioned. Seek him out. Seek his words. And I believe that'll keep the oil flowing in your lamp that you want to be burning on the day of his arrival. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, how good you are to us. Oh, your love for us, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for caring about our lives and where we are in the midst of everything. Lord, I pray for this congregation. I just ask your blessing upon them. Lord, for those who are waiting and, and getting weary while they wait. oh Lord, infuse them with your spirit and your power that you would be kind to them, O oh God. You would hear their prayers. And you would walk with them so that your name be praised in all that we say and do. This we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.